0: Hey folks, thanks for listening to the Hunt For Real podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. Today I'm chatting with a buddy of mine named Zach Fleer. Zach is a Missouri resident who grew up hunting private land down there, primarily with a rifle, and in recent years has really switched over to bow hunting, and and more importantly to this conversation, to public land bow hunting. And even though he's really only been focusing on hunting mature bucks on public land for a few years... He's had a lot of success and he's learned a lot. And I really, really enjoyed talking to him because his process for figuring out where these bucks live and how to get in there and arrow one is something that I think just about anybody who hunts public land can benefit from. So I really think you're going to enjoy this. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Hunt for Real podcast.
1: In one minute everything can change and it can become the best hunt of your life. It's a reality. Really understanding the landscape. That's what kills big deer.
0: Zach Fleer, how are you doing today, buddy?
1: I'm doing well, Tony. How are you?
0: I could not be better. Um, maybe a little bit better. I'm not sure, but I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well, man. I am, uh, I'm stoked to have you on. You and I met hunting turkeys down in Kansas. What was that? Probably like 2016 or something?
1: Well, I do believe it was 2016. That's correct.
0: Yeah. And we, uh, we hit it off because you, you are, uh, living in missouri and you like to hunt public land whitetails a lot and you're one of those guys who checks into my life every once in a while with a picture of a giant public land (laughs) whitetail that comes out of nowhere and you just sent me one on a buck that you killed that was is just a smoker what's what's the story behind that deer man
1: yeah that's uh that was that's my earliest um i've killed a buck on public land was this year so um and what date was that uh i think it was october 5th okay but uh yeah so i've been hunting and i won't i'll give you some credit i won't give you all the credit but that turkey (laughs) in kansas uh changed the way i thought about like hunting on private ground and stuff because you just your attitude towards like how they hunt deer in kansas baiting them and stuff and i was like you know i never really thought about like that being less fun than making a you know, going out on some public land and trying to find a buck. So I started hunting much harder on public land kind of after our introduction. And, um, it's been, it's been awesome, really. So I've learned a lot since 2016. I'd, I'd hunted before on public land, but I was not good at it. Um, uh, so I, I got better, but this year, um, we got a cold front. And so that morning I just headed out and there's a really big ridge that runs, uh, kind of between two oak flats. And I have never seen a buck in this little section. It's probably 80 acres of national forest, but I knew there had to be one in there. And so I just set up on the downward side of that ridge and uh, under a nice white oak that was dropping acorns. And uh, there's always a lot of does that bed there. And uh, late morning, about the time I was giving up, like it's time to climb down, uh, peek behind me and he he was coming right along the edge of the ridge and he walked literally right right to me it was awesome and then i made a terrible shot but so (laughs) it worked out so
0: you had no idea that deer was in there
1: i had no idea that buck was in there i have been uh scouting another piece of of public land um, that's very visible from the road and so that was where i spent a lot of time scouting and i had not scouted this spot so
0: so how did you end up there how did you find it
1: um looking at looking at maps um looking at the terrain feature on Google maps is my new favorite thing to do. And, uh, the, that little spot on the ridge, I dropped a pin there, ended up setting up in a tree, like almost exactly where I dropped that pin, just the way the three ridges funneled together. And I was like, there's gotta be a deer crossing through there. And that's, that's what he did. So I was my, one of my proudest moments as a deer hunter, that deer actually did what I thought it would do. So,
0: so what what was going on there i mean you're just you're just looking at public land within you know a certain distance of your house and you come across that spot and you see three ridges coming together what what else is going on there what i mean where's that deer coming from you know I, i'm so, assuming he was feeding somewhere and you you kind of put that together
1: yeah there's a there's a ton of white oaks and that's what they were hitting on that ridge but there's an adjacent property um that is it's like a research facility, mm-hmm. um, so they don't allow any hunting or anything there, and it's a pretty good chunk of property. It's a couple thousand acres, and so I know that deer go in there and are undisturbed, and then if you go a half mile the other direction, there's a river bottom. It's got some crop fields in it, and so I knew they were traveling back and forth between there, and this actual piece of public that I can hunt is only about 70 acres, but I'm everything just kind of lined up where those ridges came together and it's like there's food on one side and there's a bunch of cover and bedding on the other side. And and that would be the spot that they were going to walk through if they're coming through. So that was did, where, where I set up.
0: Did you know, uh, did you know those oaks in there were going to be dropping?
1: I did. I'd actually hunted in there about a week, a week or so before mm-hmm. and uh, saw several does move down that ridge where I, I, I actually I dropped the pin there and wanted to set up there, and then I was walking in in the dark and walked too far and walked past it. So I set up anyway and um, should have went back, but I didn't. But so when I walked back out that day, um, just all the acorns on that little ridge, and there were some some beds scattered around in there. And so I was like, I know, I know there's going to be deer in here, and waited till we got that cold front and went back in. So so
0: there's there's a couple things that are impressive about that. You know, finding a spot on aerial photos or aerial photography is not as easy as we make it sound a lot of times. It can be, but most of the time, like you keep bringing up this point, like you dropped a pin and you set up almost exactly on that pin and and killed. So often, like you said, you walked in there the first time, you walked right past it most of the time this is an inexact science. Like you don't yeah. you don't go find a specific tree set up in it and kill a deer. I mean I can I, I use aerial photography a lot and I can think of two times where I did that where I and not, neither one was a big buck, but where I picked out a specific tree for some reason went in there and it was actually good for a tree stand, hung a stand and killed a deer. I mean it's it's so rare and so when you say like that's satisfying, it is because most of the time that doesn't work out.
1: Yeah. And you're right. That's, uh, there's two times it's worked out and they've both been in like huge chunks of timber where there's, you know, you get a transition line between some cedar trees and then an oak flat. And then this spot, there was a kind of a line of cedars and I was on the edge of it. But, um, most of the time I'm, I'll pick an area and go in and hunt the sign. Like you have to walk and find sign. But this time I, like I, it just happened. I dropped that pin right there where there, there was, a big white oak dropping acorns and right on that transition line on that side of that ridge and that's that's where they were moving through so. so
0: so in that scenario was there were there a bunch of oaks in there dropping or was that the tree
1: that seemed like there's a bunch of oaks in there but it, for whatever reason that seemed like it was a tree there was um just the ground was tore up underneath it and like I noticed when I walked out the first time I hunted in that area like that was the spot and so I knew I had to get back in there
0: but yeah you know you talk about oaks a lot or apples or you know hard mass soft mass these kind of come and go food sources that are only available for a limited time and we talk about them like they're all the same like oh white oaks deer love white oaks right like Mm -hmm. for some reason some of those trees the acorns they're they must taste better or they must there must intuitively be more uh nutritional value to them or something because i've seen that before where you've got dozens of oak trees just just raining acorns down and for some reason there's one tree that's better than all the other ones and there's there's something the deer know that we don't know
1: yeah i don't know what that is but yeah that that whole 70 acres is covered in white oaks but for whatever reason there's the biggest white Oak on that little spot I was hunting, that's where they were eating. And yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's some nutritional value or they taste better. I have no idea, but that was you, where they wanted to be. So.
0: Well, it, what makes me wonder there too, it was, there some kind of, you know, you said you were on a Ridge. Is there some kind of, uh, you know, security benefit or where they can play the wind better to feed there? Is there something else going on where the landscape plays into them choosing that tree?
1: Um, it was literally if they're walking and i've seen this too like the bucks are always kind of walking on the downwind side of the biggest ridge yep and so that funnel them so that big ridge that runs north and south there's these little ridges that run towards the west off of that and that's where that tree was so they're naturally probably funneling through there anyway yeah and that just happened to be the tree that they stopped at for the most but So there was a a lot of things working together in that little spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got good food. He's got good cover. He can play the wind on how he wants to travel. And that, you know, you, if you didn't know the timing of that kill and, and I heard you tell that story, most people would assume it was later in the season. And, that whole ridge traveling thing, you know, I grew up in southeastern Minnesota hunting bluff country, um, you know, basically hunting the county across the river from Buffalo County. And so real river bluffs um, and what I found so often, which, you know, you kind of find it during the rut where you're like, oh, they cruise this way because the wind is blowing across or however they can check that ridge and travel on it. And then the more time you spend, you realize, no, this is just how they always travel. There, yeah. There's certain ways they'll cross a ridge or travel lengthwise on a ridge. And so much of it is related to how the wind plays. And they've got those situations where, you know, they can see what's ahead of them. They can smell what's to the side of them. They can pitch off that ridge and get out of danger in a heartbeat. And they're using the terrain in a way that it's it's easy to not give them credit for because you don't see them do it enough. But when you, when you watch them do it, you go, this dude's got it figured out.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. That light bulb went off for me last year. I was like, well, for several years, I was really terrible at hunting public ground. But (laughs) the last couple, I've I've gotten a lot better. And uh, that light bulb really went off last year. Like the spots where I was consistently seeing some more mature deer, like they're all, I always hunted ridgetops for the longest time and would never see the mature deer because they were always off to the side of the ridge downwind. And I I, for whatever reason, the light bulb never went off until a little bit last year. And so now I don't, I'm not hunting ridge tops anymore. I slide off down windside and like the last two years, it's worked out awesome. They come right in range, but yeah, that's what they do all the time. And it is pretty amazing that that's even with where they bed on the points of the ridge where the wind's blowing over their back and then you get thermals that makes it twirl. Yeah. I had one, one buck. I, I couldn't actually even hunt him because of where he bedded. You can't come below him because your thermals are rising in the mornings and then the wind is usually at his back coming off the top of the ridge. So there's no way to get to him. And uh, that's, it was frustrating, but <laughs> I learned on how smart they actually are. Like it's not just kind of random what they do. So you No,
0: know, it's uh, <clears throat> it starts to feel when you, when you're digging into whitetails in that kind of terrain where you got a lot of Hills and a lot of drop offs and stuff, you realize it's, it feels a lot more elk like, how they're using it, the benches and in the travel routes. And, you know, like if if you hunt mule deer, you get to watch them bed a lot, you know, depending on where you're at and you see Mm -hmm. them choose spots and you go, okay, well, I I can see why that buck chose to bed there. Like he can see everything coming up below him, you know, the wind blowing over or however it shakes out. But we don't see that with whitetails very often. So we don't. It, it, I think it doesn't factor into our decisions for an ambush site as much because we're just not exposed to how much they're using the terrain, you know, not only travel, but how the wind works on it and where they bed and how danger can't really approach them. And it's, it's a huge, it's a revelation when you kind of start to figure it out. And like you said about that buck that you couldn't hunt, that sucks. But you also found a spot where you can back off on the edge of that ridge and that buck who's naturally just going to play the downwind side of that ridge walking walking up and down and whatever you get past that your wind's blowing out over nothing he thinks he's safe and that's that's the most killable buck is a buck that's in in good type of cover where he's not out in the open he's not exposed and he believes he's got every travel advantage there is
1: mm-hmm. yeah and that's uh something I didn't do well last year with was hunting mornings and the bedding areas for bucks and this is like it makes perfect sense what you just said which i would have never thought about until coming in to hunting this year i was like i'm gonna hunt mornings more early season because i would like bought into the you don't hunt mornings until the last week october that's that was my mindset for and i grew up hunting private ground so that's pretty much what we did was you don't hunt mornings until pretty much rifle season so but yeah, that buck, had I gone in there in the morning, in the dark and set up on him, I probably could have killed him. And, but I kept trying to get in there in the evenings and he, <laughs> he actually knew like where the parking lots were, where people walked in, That deer had, he had us patterned more than we had him pattern. but yeah. other guys hunting there too. So,
0: well, they, they do that. You know, it's cliche to say, but they have it so much more figured out than, than, you know, like. We are just very predictable. And I, I always think of it like from the perspective, you know, I I had this kind of revelation. Uh, I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was scouting this summer and I busted a deer. And it was like, it's hard for me, even though I've killed a ton of deer in my life, like it's hard for me to think of myself as like this scary predator. You know what I mean? Like you don't, it's, it's like a, there's like a disconnect there, right? And, yeah. But if you think about, you know, I, I always like use an analogy, if there were grizzly bears in the town you lived in and they always walked, you know, this street and up this hill and like, it wouldn't take you very long and you'd know everywhere a goddamn grizzly was going to go. Like you'd be oh, like, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to avoid this corner. I'm not going to walk down this block. And you'd be like, there's no way I'm going to put myself and, but you would, you would develop, you know, some semblance of a routine around that if they were predictable, you know, yeah. like, and, and that's what those deer are doing. Like they, they can hear you in that parking lot pulling in the morning. They, you know, you, when you sit in the woods and you hear a truck creeping down gravel, you hear that a long ways away. They hear the door, you know, quietly close they can hear you walking out and they know, like they know most of us are going to go the same way and do the same thing and not set up very far away.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, a really good point i never thought about the grizzly bear way but like uh, uh, other hunters i've started watching hunters on public ground as much as i've watched deer the last probably two years and learned a lot about how we do the same thing every time we go hunting take park in the same spot take the same trail and same trail out and uh, the biggest buck that i saw last year um i actually got to the parking lot late and there was already guys there and i thought about going back home um but it was just kind of a perfect evening. I was like, no, I'm going to go. I literally walked, uh, made a loop around the parking lot, like different direction than the trail normally goes, and set up. I wasn't 100, more than 100 yards off the parking lot, saw the biggest deer I ever ever saw and, and uh, backtracked up. He was bedded probably 50 yards from the parking lot watching the parking lot. I found his, I assume it was his bed after because he went through out of range, but it baffled me. Like, again, that changed a lot of the way I thought. And uh, it changed my, how I access where I'm going to hunt. Like I, I have some long walks and uh, my wife doesn't always appreciate that when she goes hunting with me, but I don't take the easiest path anymore. I go where I can remain undetected and kind of go different than what other guys are doing in those spots. So Yeah. Well,
0: that's, <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting thing that you have to deal with as a public land bow hunter because we always think of it like, I have to outsmart the deer. I have to outthink these deer and they're not that smart. They're just survival machines. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, just, they're just good at surviving. And so a lot of times, like what you're talking about and, and I preach this all the time is like, you just gotta hunt differently than most of your competition. Cause most of your competition is not gonna be successful out there and they're gonna do the same things. And the deer are reacting to those guys. Like their, their life is structured around what the average hunter is going to do. If, and if you, you know, it's not so simple as to just be like, okay, buck the trend, but think about it differently. And, And like you said, like if you prepare yourself to do some work and walk and, and go to the places people might not go, you'll, you'll get yourself in positions where you can succeed on public. And I, I really think you know, there's, there's the perception out there that you can't find big deer on public, or there's no deer left on this chunk of public. It gets hunted too hard. And I'm sitting here going, man, just, just get off the trail. Like I, I can't find a place here by my house in the twin cities that doesn't have deer on it. And Mm -hmm. we have as much hunting pressure as you're going to find just about anywhere. There's a million people out my back door. Like there's plenty of hunters here, but those deer, like, like you said, Sometimes they are a hundred yards off the parking lot, just in the plum thickets and stuff and not in the, you know, like the nice, beautiful, deciduous forest that we all like to sit in. And sometimes they're three miles back, but they are, they're going to be in there for you somewhere. Or like, you know, that buck that you just killed, they might be hanging out in a sanctuary and only coming through there, you know, once in a while, but they're coming through there.
1: Yeah. That's for, that's for here. Yeah. I'm hunting. The same places now I did about four years ago um, when I thought there weren't any deer on public ground. Like I'm still hunting those same places. I and I did. I hunted right off every road and trail. and was like, "There's not a deer in here." Like everybody's either already shot them or spooked them out, and like couldn't figure it out. And um, had had it not been for necessity, if I wanted to hunt, it mostly had to be public because we live quite a ways from my family's farm. Now mm-hmm. um, I kept going back and thanks to guys like you and like the hunting public, like you come up with ideas and then like the more I scouted, I used to just go in and hunt and, like no scouting. And now uh, I do I pull up maps and find areas I want to look at and get in and scout and look around and like light bulbs started going off and like deer are, are bedded like, away from where people are. And that, yep. like are sometimes not necessarily that far away, just where people don't go. Nope. So it's, it's interesting how they do that. And, yeah, they're creatures of, of habit. I've learned that, but they're, um, like you said, they're not. I think they are smart, but they're patternable. <laughs> <laughs> At least they're they're smarter than I am. But, well, but yeah, just learning their learning their habits and how they avoid other people has has helped me significantly. So yeah,
0: I mean they're they're just. I think that you know we think of smart. I think animal smart so different. Like I think, I think they're just operating off. They're they're on a different wavelength with. You know, like I don't think they're thinking like humans always walk this trail. So I'm in a bed here and let them go past. Like I think they're just reacting and using yeah. their their senses and stuff. Like I, you know, like we get into this with dogs all the time. You know, because I I host a, a sporting dog talk, a different podcast, yeah. and we get into the question of like, are dogs smart? And it's like, well, like what what kind of intelligence are you talking about? Like compared to us, no, they're idiots. Like they all are, (laughs) but for dogs, like they, they exhibit, you know, good ones exhibit levels of thinking and, and reactions and and learning and stuff that there's some intelligence going on there. It's just a different kind, you know? Yes. And I mean, the, the thing that the thing that I love talking to somebody like you, who's, you know, grew up on private, hunted some public, didn't really get it figured out and had the mindset like, okay, well this, this is just too hard or they're not here. Or like we, we, we've all gone through that. And you know, you mentioned the hunting public and it, I love those guys and I love seeing people out there showing you that this is possible. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you, you have your mind made up that you can't do this out there. And I'm here to tell you, and it, they are, and you are, and lots of people are that it's entirely possible. It just takes some work and you yeah. know, as, as an example of what you were just talking about, where you think, okay, well, I, I park here, I go in, I don't see any deer, they're not here. I'm not seeing them, they're not here. You know, there's some sign around, it's okay, whatever. I had a fellow on my my Sporting Dog Talk podcast named John Locks, who is a biologist from Nebraska, and he's he's an upland biologist, bird guy, but he loves to hunt, whatever. And he he sent me a study that they did down there one time, this research study where they wanted to see how pheasants on public land reacted to pressure. And so they had chunks of public land where they had roosters tagged. So they knew where the birds were through GPS, and then they had hunters tagged. And what happened is he said, these guys would pull up, and it was like almost universally the hunters would pull up to where a sign was on public. So if there's a parking lot, they go in the public or the parking lot. If there's just like a marker sign, they would park by that, like just Mm -hmm. like a walleye going to structure, you know, (laughs) just like, okay, here's (laughs) where we park. And then he said they would go walk the perimeter of the ground and the roosters would run in the middle and wait them out over (laughs) and over and over again. Now these are freaking birds these are Chinese birds that didn't even evolve here. Like we brought them over and they've adapted to this landscape. And these dumb little three pound birds have figured out the hunters and the dogs that are trying to kill me every day from, you know, mid October to January or whenever they come in, they all follow the same route. And we as birds just hot foot it right in the middle of the cover, (laughs) wait for them to go past. And when you, when you see that and you break that down and you go, well, no wonder public land whitetails figure us out. Like if, yeah. if a Chinese chicken can figure you out, you know, a four and a half year old buck on public land is going to go, all right, well, these dudes do the same goddamn thing every year. I'm just going to go yeah. move over here. And it takes that, it takes a willingness to do something different like you've done to go find them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's as that blows my mind. How pheasants outsmart, not really outsmart people. They just know how to survive. That's, yeah, and the deer are very much the same way. So yeah, and then like I grew up hunting private land, rifle hunting, that's what we did. We we hunted for meat. That was that was all we did. So I got into bow hunting later and then trying to bow hunt public ground. Like I said, I I didn't the first year I hunted on a big piece of public ground, I remember I only saw like one deer. And I hunted quite a bit. And I was like, What is it, why do people hunt public land? Like what is what am I doing? And then like talking to guys like yourself and some other guys that hunted public ground and had some success and it's like well i'll try harder and then they had noticed that pattern it's like everybody parks in the parking lots they walk the same trail that goes out of the parking lot and it's like maybe i should actually look for where the deer sign is instead of just kind of I, I like rival hunting we always hunted open fields too so that was the first thing as a bow hunter on public you do is you on a field, try to see where the deer come out or well, they, they don't come out. Cause they know that's where everybody's at. <laughs> yep. Again, <laughs> getting, you
0: know, that's getting, where the grizzlies are, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting back into cover, finding where they're, they're bedding and where they move and daylight hours. That was kind of all, all new to me before I started hunting public ground. So, yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it really is a matter. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up about the rifle hunting thing. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up rifle hunting. I didn't pick up a rifle to hunt until I'd been hunting for probably 12 or 14 years. Just never, I was always a bow hunter and I still don't, I might pick up a rifle once every four or five years. I muzzleloader hunt once in a while, but that was one thing, you know, for me, bow hunting, I never had tons of success on field edges, even private farms, because I always had other hunters in there. And so I was always kind of a staging area guy. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm always off of the the food sources in the thicker stuff. And I always brought that with me when I rifle hunted. Cause I didn't, you know, like I didn't know any better. Like I didn't know you were supposed to sit on the you know power line so you could shoot three hundred yards in every direction. (laughs) But that's what that's what people do. And bow hunters, you know, it's very common in the in the gun hunting world to do that. But it's also common for bow hunters. Like we want to see. Like we want to take the easiest path to the place we can see the best. Because like you said, oh, we'll see one, we'll call it in, we'll do whatever. The problem is, is you go out on public land, sit on a field, and you know, down in Missouri, the public land I've hunted down there is pretty beautiful i mean it's like comparable to iowa looking you know food plots and fields and it, it looks dreamy but no. it doesn't it's like the elk meadow you know 200 yards off the trailhead in colorado in an over-the-counter unit like it looks awesome but every animal around there is like i'm not freaking going out there in the daylight like are you nuts? Oh, yeah and so you just learn about that cover um let's let's back up a second on this buck so the one you just killed, how big was that? Did you score that deer? He was,
1: yeah, 141 and eight, I think is what it yeah. was. Growth, so. Yeah, a absolutely
0: beautiful public land buck. Um, but you said you made a bad shot. What happened?
1: Um, Buck fever. Actually. Good for you. I feel like. Yeah,
0: for admitting I have that.
1: Not, I have not overcome that yet. I get nervous. And uh, unless it happens fast, like if it's. And hunting timber, like, I can't shoot very far anyway, so, like, if they come in fast, I'm usually pretty good, but I watched him walk all the way up to me, and actually, I mean, like, 10, 11 yards is where I shot him, and Mm -hmm. should have been a chip shot, but usually the closer they get, the less I actually focus on what I'm shooting at, which is just terrible on my part, I know, but, so I just shot him, I hit him low, and I got a little bit lucky and clipped his heart, and a lot of veins and arteries in that off shoulder but um he still went he went about 250 yards but he made it down the biggest bluff he could find before he, he laid <laughs> down so it was a it was a a quarter him up and pack him out kind of deal I, I wasn't dragging that deer out of there so
0: yeah but you got him and it you know <clears throat> I'll tell you what man we we get a lot of correspondence through this podcast and the most popular thing that any guest can say is I got buck fever and I screwed up (laughs) (laughs) and I did a whole episode on it. I had Randy Almer on here, uh, talking about buck fever and, you know, I've, I've shared my stories a million times about how, how much I've dealt with it. And what you said there about watching them come in for a long time versus the the you know buck that runs in quick and you make the snapshot and you're over there's a thing that happens this this happens with wing shooting too um where there's like a, a certain experience level that you have to get to before you transition from wanting that quick encounter to being super happy with that let them walk in and take time thing and I feel like personally, I've, I really only crossed over that, like in the last couple of years where I used to be that way too. I'm like, give me that chasing buck that comes in. I don't have to see him. I don't have to think about it till he's like right here. And I shoot and he runs out of my life and hopefully everything goes well because of that. If I had to sit there and watch him work in and work scrapes and, you know, scratches back and itches butt and do all kinds of stuff. By the time he got <laughs> to me, it was like, there's no way, you know, like I, I'm going to screw this up. And like, you know, you talk about shooting that buck at 10, 11 yards, like, you know, people are going to listen to this and be like, how do you, how do you screw up a 10 yard shot? Everybody who's done this stuff has screwed up 10 yard shots. If you, if you say yeah. you haven't, uh, you just haven't done this enough. I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. You either haven't hunted a lot or you're, you're lying about it. And but yeah, I'm and I used to do the same I was watching guys hunt on TV, you know, 20 yard shots and they, they don't make a good shot. It's like. You guys are professionals. You should know how to shoot deer. But in, in the moment, like I don't know, your mind just kind of goes blank, and um, yeah, and that deer just just watching him walk in, and like he had some big old long main beams. That that still sticks in my mind. Just watching those beams, and I had to make myself quit looking at him as he's walking in, and he's just so relaxed too. And I was, I'd, I'd almost. I don't know why him being so relaxed made me more nervous, but it did. And, <laughs> and uh, he stopped on his own, like right there. And I just, I, I tend to shoot um, the last two years on, on big, bigger bucks. I tend to shoot low. And I think it's just, I get excited and I'm watching the arrow and, and not falling through with shots and stuff. But, but uh, I got, got lucky. So
0: are you shooting a multi pin sight?
1: I'm shooting a single pin sight and I think I'm actually will probably go back to a multi-pin sight uh, just because I find myself jacking around my single pin sight way too much. Do you,
0: Uh, is it a vertical pin?
1: It is a vertical pin.
0: Do you come up, do you come up on your target or down?
1: Uh, I usually come up on my target and I usually, when I hit my target, it's like, I naturally want to pull my arm back down. It's a, I mean, it's really just kind of target panic, but. Shooting yep. at a foam target all day—it doesn't bother me. But you put antlers and fur on something, I have trouble.
0: So, I, my my shot sequence—I come down. So I, I shoot single pin mostly, single pin vertical sight. I shoot a lot of HHA and Black Gold. But my problem when uh, when I was like really buck fever to the max was I come down and I'd get deer in my sight pin and I'd sh- or in my sight window and I'd shoot. And so yeah. that's why I ask when you say you come up, what you're doing, probably you get fur and hide and everything in there and you're shooting <laughs> before you settle. And I had to, I had to do a lot of things, but what I started doing was like trying to draw on target. You know what I mean? Like not do yeah. not to come up, not to come down because I noticed like when I'm talking about rifle hunting or muzzleloader hunting, I would do the same thing with a rifle scope where I would come down and I'd get deer in my scope and I'd shoot and shoot right over them. And then they'd run and I'd shoot them running, but I couldn't hit them standing. <laughs> and it, it like, I know it, yeah, dude, it just dumb. Like, because what it did, you know, I've, I've shot a ton of wing shooting, upland ducks, all kinds of stuff. And what I think it does for me you know, I've done it on antelope with a rifle where I've missed them standing and then I've hit antelope running full bore. And all it does is it takes me out of the equation and you just go into this instinctive mode. And for Mm -hmm. bow hunting, but you don't want that. Like, I don't, I want to be in control. And for bow hunting, I had to like kind of, reinvent how I draw. So now, unless I'm drawing like way ahead of time for them, you know, if they're, if they're going to work in or something, I really had to work on that on a target where I'm like, okay, I'm holding out. I'm holding like relatively close to where I think I got to be and just do the straight draw back. Like you'd want to do anyway. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have such an exaggerated come down motion and it, it, it helped me.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've practiced that way. And, uh, like even practice the whole, like going through steps in my head, to anchor and pick a spot. And, but in that moment, like, uh, I didn't remember anything. Like I don't even remember pulling the trigger on the release. It just like deer was in the sight picture and it went off. And I was like, I just shot that one. <laughs> like it just happened. So That I, uh,
0: it, it sucks to know your brain can sabotage you.
1: <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. I read that somewhere else too, where they say, don't, don't take your brain out of your shot sequence, but. I've not mastered that,
0: but dude, it's hard, man. You know, one thing that I do and I I talk about this a lot is I start to think of deer, the deer that I want to kill as, as like 3d targets. And like in my head, I'm like, I wouldn't, I would never miss a 3d target at this shot. Like if you put it there, it would be like so easy. It's dumb, right? If you put a 3d Mm -hmm. target out there at 10 yards, how many times do you think you're going to miss it? (laughs) Or how many times do you think you're going to hit it way low? Yeah, right. (laughs) And so like in my head, I have to do that, but I'm in a, I'm in a different place now where I still get buck fever bad and I still screw up shots, but not, not the way I was even, you know, 10 years ago, I was horrible five years ago, you know, better, but it's like a, you'll, I don't think if you're doing the public land thing and you're working your ass off and you're out there getting after it, I don't know if you could ever possibly get over it and I don't know if you'd want to and I think you just get to a place where you get a little more comfortable in that moment and you go okay I'm not I've been here I've done this I'm not screwing this up he's when he you know like I always equate it to you know you you turkey hunt and if you're out there with your 12 gauge you know you got your three and a half inch 12 gauge and it's loaded with fives and that bird struts in and he crosses like that 40 yard mark And in your head, you're like, well, this this is not going to end well for you, brother. Like, you're not going to get out of this. Like, I'm going to pepper you with five shot. I When you can, like, that confidence level of holding that turkey gun when he's strutting in, if you can get somewhere near that with a bow where it's like, oh, he crosses that 30-yard mark, 25, 20, and you're like, well, this is going to be bad for you, dude. Unless something really changes. But it's a hard place to get to.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's... uh, it's i don't know how to how to fix it i am getting more comfortable than i used to be like i didn't start shaking until after i shot that one where <laughs> previously yeah. hunting public again you get a bit good buck walking in i was like oh my and <laughs> i think i just put a lot of pressure on myself like you said i worked so hard to get there it's like i can't used to go on with the mindset like i can't screw this up where instead of having that confidence like oh yeah you're you're going down now but yeah so just just shifting that mindset, but
0: yeah, you, you, I mean, you don't want that to you, you. When you get that opportunity, you really don't want to screw it up. You don't want to see that buck run away because <laughs> it might be another season before it happens again, or a buck of that right. caliber on public land. It might be three seasons or five seasons, or you know, depending on where you live, you might hunt for a decade and not see 140 inch on public. That's a big deer. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh talking to my neighbor, he's he said he's hunted. The, the same public ground around here for, you know, 15, 20 years. And he said, that's as big a deer as he's ever seen on, on public ground. And I, I know from just last last several years, they're, they're out there. They're just, they're not easy to come by, but yeah, I think, you know, I,
0: I, I don't know about this, but I think there's like this perception, you know, like also, you know, we talked about there aren't any deer on public land or there aren't any deer or the, all the bucks get shot off I think there's a pretty, like, if you live in a good area, you know, you live in Missouri, like you live in a good deer area. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the quality of bucks on public land is probably like mirrors what you'd find on nearby private land, but just maybe not the density. And, you know, I see that I talk about Northern Wisconsin a lot. I was just over there hunting last weekend. I'm going over next weekend. And the hunting over there is the hardest I encounter anywhere. It's big wood stuff. It's no joke. It, it's I've never killed a big buck over there in ten years. I've seen some, and what I'm realizing as I as I, like, I get a little bit more dialed over there is, man, the, the the upper end is as good as I've seen anywhere. It's just there's not. They're not like overabundant and man, they are on their survival game in there. You know, I mean they got they got freaking bears and bobcats and wolves and a ton of hunting pressure. And it's just one of those deals where like they are there. You like you can like to say that you can't run into a 140 or you know, I saw a buck two years ago off stand that I thought was 160, which is the biggest buck I saw all year was on public land in northern Wisconsin. Like they, they exist. They are just so not easy to find, which is why when they walk in on you, you freaking fall apart.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I would, I would say I've actually, uh, of course our family farm, it's 150 acres and, uh, it gets hunted hard I mean, my whole family raffle hunts it, uh, bow hunting. I usually have it to myself, but the last three, I'd say the last four years of bow hunting public ground, I've actually seen uh, more mature deer hunting public ground than I do on my farm, and I, that goes in the way I hunt it too. On our, our farm, we have we have set stands, hunt the same places the majority of the time, and uh, definitely access the farm the same way every time. We had we had one deer that he died of EHD, but uh, that's been several years ago. But he had his pattern. We came in on the same road every time, and he bedded watching the road that we came in on we never saw him in at any time but um and then switching not a public land the last two years like three or four years just how many big deer that i've been able to see just by changing my mindset on like where to hunt and stuff like we talked about previously has honestly been like shocking to me because i would have never after my first couple years of hunting public land i wouldn't i didn't think there was any deer like into figuring things out and, and seeing how many big deer are out there. And here in Missouri, we have a, a really wide array of different types of habitat, which is really fun, too. Like, I, I killed my buck in some really big hill country, uh, but we have river bottoms here, too. They're flat and completely different style hunting. There's no oaks, no nothing. Uh, there's some crops. But uh, and some of those places that are bow hunting only, there are some giant deer. And you can, during the summer, like, I'll have to send you pictures, but there's just absolute biggest deer like you'll see anywhere are down there on public ground and but it's they know they know how it works though so you try to get in them out during the season and <laughs> they're impossible to find but
0: well yeah it. I mean do you so I'm, I'm always curious about this because I grew up hunting kind of a mix of private and public Um you know we, ha- we had both spots and you know like the, the private thing is, you know, sometimes it, it, I, I, we never had like land we owned, right? It was always permission based and it still is for the most part. And so it was never like you, you would never counting on keeping that like from year to year to year. You like you never knew might sell or you might just get booted off because the family wants to hunt or something. And so I'm always curious when somebody comes from the situation that you came from with private land in the family, you know, set your stands, hunt it the way you want, access it the way you want. I see people come from that scenario a lot. They try public land and they do not do very well. And it's like, it, oh, oh and, and you know, it, it's because it's a different style of hunting for sure. But it's also like, it's easy to get into that mentality. Like, this isn't worth it. It's like, it's way more work. And if you're, if you're not making the right decisions, you're not seeing deer. So it's like, why, why would I do this? But if you keep pushing through like you did, and start to go like, man, this is, there's gotta be a way to do this. Then you start to find like, man, this public land is as good or better than some of the private I've hunted. It just forces me out of my comfort zone to do different things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, like I said, the first couple of years I started hunting public land, like was super frustrating, not seeing deer. And like, I just went back to the farm and sit on a food plot and you know, deer will come out. Um, but I really enjoy it now, just the challenge, like, of actually finding a mature deer on public ground like that. It is a lot of work and um, a lot of scouting, a lot of looking at maps. But when you actually, like said, when that, that deer came in this year, like, and did what I thought he was going to do, like, there's no greater, like, I don't know, I, I take a lot of pride in that. Like, it was just awesome. Like, that deer, I mean, everybody else is out here hunting. I walked past three different stands I think hitting that where he was at but it's like I know other people are out here hunting but nobody was right where he was going to come through and it's like the the thought and then the hard work that went into killing that deer is like that's a, that adventure that challenge is, is what I love doing now so and it's different than hunting the farm the farm has its its own challenges like I, I still enjoy land management we still plant food pots move stands around and hunt with the family and that's that's fun but um I just have a totally different mindset when it comes to public ground. Like it's, it's more of an adventure, but it is, it's,
0: you know, when I go over to Wisconsin, I, I own two little properties over there and then my buddy has a cabin with some ground on it. So I have private places to hunt. I have a, I have a property over there with a little food plot I put in there and I don't hunt it very much because there's so much public land around there. And I kind of like, you know this this is just personal but i feel like when i go sit my little property with that food plot like okay well i'm now i'm just waiting for one to walk in like it just it's a different kind of hunt it sort of like takes you out of the process and sometimes i i don't mind hitting the easy button and just go sitting in a stand i put up in the summer and you know, whatever, like sometimes I don't want to carry a stand in and hang it and take it down every single night for (laughs) weeks on end. You know, it's the same thing. Like you spend enough time in a freaking tent every fall where I'm like, I don't mind staying in a hotel room once in a while or staying in a cabin or something. (laughs) But, but I feel like what you're talking about, and this, this is like a secret you can't know until you really get into it. But you just, when you, when you get after it on public land, you're like, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go after a buck. That's going to make me real happy on public land. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to put in the due diligence and the research. You just own the process. And then, mm-hmm. you know, not in, and, and beyond that, if you go out and you shoot an awesome deer like you did this year, and then you got to pack that sucker out of a hole, like you <laughs> that, that whole thing, that deer means a lot. Yeah. just, it's, there's like a weight to it. That's different. It's not just the fact that it's 140 inch buck on public land, which is a freaking accomplishment, but it's like the whole thing, like it, there's so there, there's nothing that anybody could take away from you on that. And I, I just, I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just, just awesome. And even, um, I, I got my buddy to come in and help me, help me track him and haul him out. And, uh, the, <laughs> the memories we have of, of going in there, cause he's like, why the heck would you not hear? And just, trying to explain to him like what I was telling you about how all those factors kind of come together and why, why I ended up where I was. And then <laughs> and then having him, uh, he literally went off a of bluff. Like he had the, I had the quarters on a pack frame and he was carrying the head and pushing me up the hill in front of him. It was <laughs> like, those are memories that like shooting a deer on the farm and driving the truck up to it. You, you don't have those memories. And uh, it, it's just yeah, it's, a lot of fun.
0: It's a different process, man. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things I get like uh, too, too defensive over sometimes when people, especially Western hunters, they'll talk about whitetail hunting. Like it's a, you know, it's a cakewalk where you don't burn a calorie ever. And it, you know, sit over a food plot and assassinate a deer that's been on your hit list. And a hundred percent that stuff exists. But like. It's the same thing if I was like, oh, all elk hunting is going to sit on a meadow and you call in six different bulls and you finally shoot a seven by seven or you go sit on an alfalfa field and shoot a seven by seven as he follows cows out. And they'd be like, that is not elk hunting. That's TV. Like, okay. (laughs) Like yeah. There's a, there's a spectrum guys and you can have a whitetail hunt where you really literally don't burn a calorie and you kill something, or you can have a whitetail hunt that you have an entire year or multiple years invested in one opportunity and then you kill them. And even that doesn't go all that smoothly and there's a lot of work in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part about it that like now I'll hundred percent admit it, the, the public land hard, public land hunting started for me by necessity. Like I couldn't make it to the farm, but but now it's like I'd almost rather hunt public land than go up to the farm. Like, and I I do enjoy hunting with my family. That's kind of a different aspect. But given a choice, where if I was the only one hunting a farm, or I could go hunt a new chunk of public ground, I'm going to the public ground just to see if I can, you know, find a deer and, and make it happen. Just because it's it's fun. I just enjoy that part of it now. But,
0: well, that's, you know, we humans are wired to meet challenges and overcome them. We have a reward center in our brain that, that, that craves that. And I mean, that that's kind of how, where we came from, man. Like we we needed to find food and kill stuff and dig roots and, and succeed out there. Otherwise you croak, you know, and yeah. I, I, we still possess that. And I think that. You know, people. I've had a lot of people say, "Oh, you just hunt public land because it's like a badge of pride, or you know, like you want to be able to brag that you did it the hardest way." And like, yeah, there's there's like an ego part of it for sure. Like, you know, like I said, you're not going to take anything away from the way I hunt. Like, go ahead, try. Like, it's not going to work. But there is also that thing you just get hooked on. Is like, man, that it it is so rewarding to do it right. And when you get to the headspace you're talking about, where you're like. Hey, you know, I could go hunt this private farm or I could go hunt in public. I'm going to go where I enjoy it the most, where I get the most satisfaction out of it. And that's like. That point can't be overstated. Like, yeah. you know, if if going and sitting on a feeder in Texas and shooting a deer is make is the next closest thing to dying and going to heaven for you, go do that. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't do what makes you happy. But if you're sitting there and you're not that happy with your hunting, because this is supposed to be fun. Like it's supposed to be, there's work tied to it, but it's like, it's supposed to be this experience that we enjoy and we get something out of it, kill or no kill. If yeah. you're not getting that, shake it up. Like, do yeah. something different.
1: hundred 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 percent. And that and that all, honestly, I didn't realize uh, kind of how much pressure I put on myself hunt, hunting our farm. We, um, I was very blessed to take some really big rifle bucks off our farm over the years. And then there became that pressure. Like, people expect you to shoot something big off the farm. And then um, when I was designing trail cameras, we had trail cameras all over our farm. So I knew when you were there. And like the pressure to kill a specific deer like there was we had one giant deer he's um he's the one we actually found dead 225 inch non-typical and like <laughs> the amount of pressure i put on myself to try and kill that deer especially because we had him all over trail camera and everything and uh, like it wasn't even fun to hunt that deer because there was so much pressure to try and kill it and uh, i didn't like during the time i was I don't think I realized it. My wife definitely did. She was like, you're not any fun to hunt with <laughs> <'Cause I was laughs> trying to kill, trying to kill that that deer. And uh, that same year we found him dead. And then uh, my wife actually killed her first deer with a bow. She just shot a, a big doe and like just the pure excitement, like on her face, like that kind of got the wheels turned. I was like, this is what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be fun. And then um, starting to hunt public land, like it became fun again, it was a lot of work, but I was like, this is, Fun. I really enjoy this, and I do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still enjoy hunting our farm and um, being with my my brothers and my dad when we go up there. It's 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 still as fun, but I don't have the pressure like I used to. To like, I have to kill some giant deer off the farm. Like that's gone now. I like I can just go enjoy the hunt. And uh, but yeah, I just that's been a like a, a learning process for me. It's like I. Hunting should be fun. However you want to do it, as as long as it's legal, do it, do it. What makes it fun for you. But, um, this new kind of the new way for me, but on the public land, bow hunting is like, I just really, really enjoy it. And so that's why I keep doing it.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because somebody's out there listening to this, who's only a public land hunter and they would kill to have 150 acres of ground in Missouri to hunt. Mm-hmm. but what happens there and, 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 that, and that's an awesome thing, but what happens there is like you said, you know, you get all those pictures of that big one and you're like, well, this deer's around here. I'm going to hunt this deer. And that, like, I, I have met very few people who target one buck and enjoy it. Like some people become experts on that and that's their thing. Every time I've even gotten in the neighborhood of that, my, my hunting enjoyment has just drained out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Cause then you're like, okay, well, you have these ideas like, okay, this deer lives here. He likes to use this or that, but the wind's wrong for this or the conditions are wrong. So I can't go in there. So you're like, I don't want to hunt because I can't hunt that deer. Mm-hmm. And really like, if you just, if you want to hunt, you just want to hunt. And so yeah. in some ways, the, the having that farm is like, it's sort of a limiting factor. And I, I'm always, I'm always talking to people and this, this happens to people a lot, especially, you know, around here where I live, where you know, 150 acres would be a lot. A lot of people are working off of 20 or 30, 40 acres and that's their hunting spot. And it's like, well, you you might have two deer a day that go through that little chunk and that's what you're limiting yourself to. And so I always try to get people like, you know, you don't have to go out, you know, full bore, you know, hunting public style on public land solely. But if you're if you're just sitting on a little chunk of family ground, or you know, your neighbor lets you hunt their twenty five acres or something, the more options you have to go sit, the better. And so, yeah. I, I think, and I think we're seeing that in in the general hunting public where they're going. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of guys out there killing good bucks on public land and seem to be having a lot of fun. I'm going to be open to that possibility. And really what it does for you, like, you know, you said, uh, I used to not hunt mornings until the rut. And, you know, so many people are like that. I've never been like that. And I've been preaching against that for a long time. And then you go out on October 5th in a morning on public land and shoot a buck that Ninety nine point nine percent of private land hunters would shoot any time of the year, any any time yeah. it walks by them. And it's like if you don't have that option, you don't kill that deer or have that encounter. Give yourself some options. Don't sell that public land short.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I would, Like I said said, we used to hunt the farm like the wind wrong, can't get into a spot. I wouldn't I just wouldn't hunt. And so now it's like uh very blessed to live here in Missouri around we have that you know national forest and a lot of conservation ground there's like 15 twenty thousand plus acres within an hour of my house where I can easily go hunt and so no matter what the wind direction is you should see my <laughs> my little apps on my phone with all the potential stand sites that I have there there's hundreds of them on there it's like there's never a shortage of places where I can go to hunt and so like that that makes it fun too and like thinking back uh as I was just talking, like the last three years, I don't think I've ever hunted the same tree twice. Uh, maybe, maybe once last year, cause there's a big buck in there, but I, I've switched to, uh, switched to a tree saddle this year, which has been amazing. Um, and so it makes me super mobile and, yep. and like just shifting around and, and staying on deer. It's been, it's it's a lot of fun. Like, Said so any any wind anything I don't have to to worry about it because I know I have a spot I can go. So
0: yeah, it's <clears throat> it, giving yourself options and a, and allowing allowing for the chance to hunt anytime you have opportunity is it changes how you look at things. Like I I, I talk about this a fair amount where you know you killed that buck on October fifth. I have a lot of good mid October hunts. And people Uh say that you can't, and part of it is from my job. Like I I can't sit out if I have time to go, I I go, but I kind of always been wired that way. Like I was never, I was never like, I'm going to save this spot for later. It was like, well, if I have time to hunt, I'm going to hunt. And whether it was hanging a stand that moment or going to sit something I had set up and what you realize when you do that and you do that in, you know, hot weather and cold weather and windy and rainy and all these conditions is if you just hunt, you see bucks when you're not supposed to. And you kill bucks when you're not supposed to and where you're not supposed to. And, you know, that that brings us full circle back to, you know, the parking lot bucks you're talking about. Like, man, I've, I've killed some deer in the last few years. I killed a buck in Oklahoma last year that I could see my truck through the trees, like 150 yards away. I, you know, I've killed big ones really close to public parking areas. And some of them you know way in and it's just like man when you start doing this stuff and you hunt when you're not supposed to and you stop listening to the white noise of all these experts who live on premier ground in southern Iowa and they tell you when you should hunt and you just go hunt you realize like holy cow there's a whole world out here going on where these bucks are moving every day and they're out here and there's so many opportunities to have an enjoyable sit if you just yeah. go do it
1: yeah hundred percent yeah i definitely used to used to be very in tune with all the white noise and that was kind of how how we hunted he didn't hunt october there's october lull and i i didn't know where bucks went but i just knew you couldn't find them during october because that's what everybody said on tv and <laughs> like and now, now the last two years i've just uh, i've seen a lot of a lot of deer in october and a lot of mature deer and then um actually that that parking lot buck last year um, I don't know if it was the same buck but I hunted that spot uh, mid-october not far from a parking lot and uh, one of the biggest framed deer I've ever seen and I, I actually got a shot at him and uh, it was it was probably a low point for for me as deer hunter but I hit him and uh, it was it looked like a liver shot and so I was I was like that's okay he's we're gonna we're gonna find him um i was hunting it's it's a really random spot but the deer used it. it's a big ditch that goes down to a a river and right off the parking lot nobody hunted it so i I hunted it once actually um initially because i heard turkeys in there and i was gonna go see if i could shoot a turkey with a bow and ended up seeing a buck go down that ditch and then it went in there again when the wind was right and he came through and um so i Made the shot, looked at my arrow. I was like, yep, definitely liver hit deer. And I pulled out and uh, went back to the house and got a bunch of flashlights and stuff. And I knew there was a chance for rain, um, but I didn't think it was going to rain very much. And by the time we got back out there, it was like a downpour. And uh, it re- ended up raining almost two inches that night. And we spent three days looking for that deer. And then I, I kept going back like over the next several weeks looking for that deer, asking neighboring landowners about it. Never, never did find him, um, which was really terrible. I, I hate, hate doing that one just to an animal. And I know, I know he has to be dead in there somewhere unless somebody else found him before I did. But um, that was, uh, that was one of those times. Like, parking lot was full. I could have chose to go home, but it's like yeah. I'm gonna go sit in this random spot and ended up seeing that would have would have been by far probably the biggest deer I've ever killed. But uh, unfortunately, I never, never did recover him. But.
0: There is, uh, there's nothing worse than rain that comes in on a blood trail. <laughs> it's, it, I, I shot a buck, man, probably two thousand and seven or something in northern Minnesota when I was working for Peterson's Bow Hunting, and I shot this nice ten pointer, um, hit him, you know, back. I thought liver, wasn't sure, and it, back far enough where I was like, I got to give him some time. And rainstorm came in that night and I thought, man, I better get out there and look, and I'll never forget. I was in, in a downpour, just following whatever blood I had left. And I'm like shining my light down and I shine my light up and this buck comes walking up the trail, like, like a ghost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 10 feet away from me scared the shit out of me. It was just a little buck walking through the trail and not my buck. And anyway, I, you know, he blew out, I lost the blood trail, I had to go back in the next morning. I ended up finding him the next morning, just walking trails out. But when yeah. you go, when you when you know they're dead and that blood trail gets washed away, and then you realize how many different ways they could have gone and how many different things they could do. And now you have to expand your search and you go liver hit deer, you know, liver can go a lot of different ways. Sometimes you shoot <laughs> them, you know, through the liver right, And it's like 10 minutes and you watch them tip over 15 minutes. If you just clip a lobe or you're low or high or you punch through it the wrong way, it can be four hours or eight hours. It's not, you know, it's like not a consistent thing. Like, you know, you double lung them, they run a little ways and they tip over. You shoot them through the heart, they run away. You know, like you liver hit them and it's like, all right, well, what, what kind of liver hit, you know, I mean, guts are sort of similar. And then you factor in that the rain coming in, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had rain come in, I've had snow come in on it and that stuff sucks. And, you know, it just, yeah. it just is what it is.
1: Yeah. It was, that was a pretty bad feeling, but, uh, and again, all the, I wouldn't say that that particular spot was a ton of work, but like all the work you put in, especially on public clay and to get, get in range of a good buck and, and then have that happen. And I, like, in my mind i knew that chance of rain i wanted to follow him but i knew he was hit i was like i can't i'm going to jump him i going to push him and i'll never find him either so it was kind of a a no win situation but um, we I, <laughs> I walked all over that piece of property and we never found any remains of him so like i don't, I don't know where where he went but uh and it, like as soon as i shot him he, he turned and he was out of sight and i could i listened to him He didn't really run off. He just kind of walked off. And so uh, that was the only travel direction he had. And and, uh, I have no idea where he went after, you know, the 50 yards that I got to to hear him walk off. But, uh, yeah, we covered a lot of ground in there. And unfortunately, never did come up with him. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's it sucks, but it happens. And I think, you know, in the industry, we're a little bit scared to talk about that stuff sometimes. Um, but I think it's beneficial to talk about it you know and it it I listen to a lot of people talk about hunting and I've (laughs) I've read a lot of stuff and you know been around a lot of industry people and you can almost if the topic comes up you can almost tell how much experience people have It's, it's kind of the same thing like Um, when you get onto the topic of should I hunt mornings in the early season or is the October lull real or should I wait for this kind of pressure or this moon or something, you can almost tell what kind of a, what kind of information people have been getting. And Mm -hmm. you can just tell like, you know, I I know some people who are considered whitetail experts. When I talk to them, I'm like, you don't really seem to have very much experience. You seem to be sort of a sponge for the (laughs) typical whitetail information out there but like there's there's like a feel to it like that it doesn't really come from a place of experience as much and mm-hmm. you know where, where i'm going with this is one of the experiences you're going to have if you do this enough is you're going to shoot when it's going to walk out of your life and you're never going to find it and it's, that's mm-hmm. just going to happen and it sucks and when you when you I think talking about that stuff helps because you you can kind of lay out like okay well, here's what I did wrong, you know, and here's what I tried and it didn't work. Cuz somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to go they're going to go out next week and they're going to liver shoot a buck somewhere and go all right. <laughs> what what are my options now? You know? And I th- I think that stuff matters.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely does and uh, that's something yeah, I probably would have would have used to never talk about, but it it does happen when you're out there. And like you said, if you're, if you haven't enough hunting experience, you hunt enough. It, it unfortunately will happen with a bow hunt, even gun hunting. You lose some deer, but um, it's kind of part of it. You never, you hope it never happens, but unfortunately it does. So,
0: Well, I, I tell you what, brother, I do a lot of shed hunting and rabbit hunting after the gun season. I tell you what, there's some gun hunters out there losing some deer, oh, right. man.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, where, where I grew up in, in Southern Minnesota, One of the, one of the primary, you know, hunting methods is driving deer and man, it's, it got better When we got antler point restrictions down there and people had to think about their target, it, it seemed to go down a little bit. But before that, you know, I could just count on when I would go shed hunting or go rabbit hunting, I'd find dead bucks, lots of them. And there were times where I would go out on a you know, a, a rabbit hunt, uh, you know, especially if you're rabbit hunting, you're kind of in the places those bucks are going to go hole up in. And man, there were times where I'd go out and find like four of them, you know, and you could see if it was close enough to the gun season, you could see they caught a slug in the guts or whatever. And, you know, so it it, it happens to everybody. It just, if you're going to yeah. hunt, it's going to happen. And so it, it's a good thing to hear about. And, you know, the, the decisions made on a, you know, for recovery, it's so, there's so many variables involved. And so the more, you know, the more experience you get, the better you get at it. And the more you can hear from people who have lots of experience, I think the better you can get at it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And with, with that deer, um, like I knew, I knew immediately when I hit him, I was like, I know that's liver. Like I know I got to give him time. Uh, but there's also like, I knew there was a chance of rain. I didn't realize how quickly it was going to get there. So I'm, I'm fighting myself. I'm like, I need to follow up. But if I bump him, like who knows where he's going to go. And if it rains on it, like then I'm just searching for a body. Um, and I, <laughs> I called three or four people that night that are, are trusted, trusted deer hunters and asking them an opinion. And two of them said, like, just wait it out and, and search for the body in the morning. And one guy's like, you should I probably see where the blood trail goes. So we, like I did go back, and I only made it 50 yards, and it was just pouring down rain, and there was no blood left to follow. So I was like, "Well, I'm not just going to wander around in the dark." So got out of there. But yeah, but yeah, hard. that was that was just a tough situation. But
0: yeah, grid, grid searching is best conducted in the daylight.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs>
0: if, if you're listening to this, and there's one takeaway from this, take that. Yes. <laughs> don't don't grid search for a body at night. It's a, no. it's, a it's a bad idea. Uh, no. So. You've got, uh, got one tag filled. You can't use another bow tag till rifle season down there, right?
1: That's you can't, correct.
0: You can't fill another buck tag, right?
1: Yeah. So I can, uh, in Missouri, you can only fill one antler tag. Uh, so you get two archery, uh, any deer tag, but you can only shoot one buck before our rifle season. And so then of course I can get a, a, a rifle buck tag and I still got another tag for after rifle season. So.
0: So you still got all some, these. you got some tags left to fill. You got a little one at home. Are you going to, are you going to plan to skip out and go hunt another state like Nebraska or something?
1: You know, i this year, probably not. My little Titus is only 10 months old. So, um, spending a lot of time with him, which it's been awesome. I can't wait till he gets to get with me. Then we'll be all over the place, but, um, hanging out close to home for this year. But, uh, I do want to, want to sneak out next year to, to do a Nebraska, South Dakota or something just, uh, just to get out of out of Missouri, I love. Actually, do really love hunting Missouri, um, and I'm quite content to to keep hunting here. My my goal is to someday to fill three tags, <laughs> three <laughs> buck tags, but uh, lofty goals. But uh, but yeah, that, that out of state adventure with with the knowledge that I've learned, like hunting public ground here, I. I have confidence i could go somewhere else and find a deer too and 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 have fun doing that
0: so for sure yeah it's <clears throat> leaving i i could see it would be a little tough to leave your part in missouri i i've never deer hunted missouri but i've i've scouted a lot down there and i've turkey hunted public a lot and it's one of those states where i'm always like i just gotta go plan this in and do it and I haven't yet, but man, some of the stuff I've scouted down there and I've spent time turkey hunting, I'm like, this is, it is so nice.
1: (laughs) We are definitely blessed here. It's hard. It is hard to leave, especially if I don't kill a buck early, it makes it really hard to to go somewhere else and try to kill a buck because I know it's here, but like this year, it would have been nice to to plan a trip somewhere. (laughs) I wouldn't have known I would kill a deer early, but yeah.
0: Well, when you got a little one at home, you know, changes your perspective on how much you should be gone. And it's a uh, it's a it's a major game changer. Uh, man, we're, we're just about out of time here. One one last thing. So think back to this buck that you just killed here in Missouri. What What's the one thing out of that entire experience that, like, surprised you the most that you feel like you took away something from it, where it was like that? Whatever little bit you learned, you're going to use forever.
1: Uh, I I think it's hard to take away just just one, but uh, I think just trusting, like looking at looking at the topo maps, like I knew if any deer was cruising through there, like they were going to come through that area, and then a couple of weeks before seeing that sign, like I knew deer. Were, feeding under that wide oak and just trusting that you know he sit there on a and it was a morning which I don't want that many mornings or didn't used to um I don't know I can't think of just one thing that would that would stick out but I think just uh and I, I knew that morning was going to be a good morning uh I actually told my wife the night before I was like I'm going to kill something tomorrow like the confidence I had going into that morning and just just went for it and uh hunted a good spot and then it worked out
0: so yeah, you called your shot you pointed into the you pointed into the bleachers <laughs> and you hit your home run um, man so i know you're not super active on social media but i really want you to say your instagram handle um so our <laughs> listeners can find you
1: uh it is ginger ninja 21 <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and if
0: you're just listening to this, Zach is a redhead, and I'll never I'll never forget that's it uh, when when we met on that uh, that Kansas turkey hunt, Brody Swisher, fellow, actually Brody Swisher and Darren McDougal we're yes. sitting there and they're both redheads <laughs> both so all three of you have now been a guest on hunt for real but i walked up <laughs> to the table you three redheads are sitting there and i was like man when did the circus get out where the hell did you guys come from <laughs> uh all, but all good dudes so people can check you out on instagram there um yeah. zach thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing a little bit of your knowledge here on how you're uh you're killing some big bucks on public land i really appreciate it buddy
1: hey i appreciate you having me on uh glad to do it so it's good to catch up with
0: you too awesome thanks man yeah thank you thank you so much for listening i can't honestly put into words how much i appreciate anyone taking the time to check into the hunt for real podcast if you like what you heard today please subscribe so you can get the latest episodes each week as we drop them you can also find us at huntforreal.com our youtube channel where we'll be putting up tips and films throughout the year as well as through all the usual suspects when it comes to social media. Again, thank you so much for listening.